0: there's this astonishingly large population of people that a year ago, two years ago, were essentially the picture of health and function. And all of a the sudden, they can't walk around the block without being completely exhausted. This is a highly motivated group of people to get back to the state of health that they remember quite well. Unlike a lot of chronic conditions that like the frog in the pot of boiling water progresses so slowly, long COVID's the opposite of that. It's holy crap. I vividly remember being perfectly fine and now I'm a mess and it's a problem that screams for functional and integrative medicine practitioners to solve it.
1: This is Getting to Yes, the podcast with leaders from all walks of life, exploring their successes, mistakes, and lessons learned in influence and persuasion. Getting others to say yes and then taking an insight or two To help them achieve even greater things welcome to another episode of getting to yes the podcast where we explore themes of motivation mindset how to get people to say yes to what you have to offer whether that's as a health practitioner or a healer And today's guest is no other than Tom Blue, a dear friend and colleague that I've known for almost 10 years now, from the early days of the evolution of medicine. And Tom has really dedicated most of the last 20 years to intensely researching and synthesizing new approaches to emerging science and research in the day-to-day practice of primary care and personal health management. Deep down, he's a true healthcare entrepreneur with an impressive record of catalyzing innovative clinical and practice management businesses. So welcome to the show, Tom. Thanks, Uli. Good to see you. It's good to have you here. And for those of you that don't know who you're behind so many different ventures i want you to take a look back at the last decade and outline some of the central themes in your work and as it really relates to individual practitioners listening what were the central themes and then obviously we turn the tables and have you look into your crystal ball and predict the next 10 years
0: sure sure gosh so thinking backwards and working forward I got started into this whole endeavor by way of setting up concierge medical practices. All the way back in 2001, the first one in Virginia, then went on to take on responsibility for the Trade Association of Concierge Medicine for eight or nine years. In the course of that, the thing that I really shaped the work that I do from that launching pad was the need to discover Value propositions that would compel a person to want to invest in their health care above and beyond paying for their health insurance and copays mm-hmm. and deductibles. And if you think back to 2001 starting from dead scratch, a concierge medical practice. But this is a time when a copay was 10 or $20. There was no high deductible plan. There was no particular shortage of primary care doctors. So the wait times to get to see them wasn't terribly problematic for people. And it was a bit of a desperate search for what can you do different to make a rational person want to invest in their health. And to just by very good fortune and coincidence. We wound up setting this practice up next door to Virginia's first electron beam tomography scanner that did a few different things. Two of the three of the things it did turned out to be disasters, virtual colonoscopies and whole body scans (laughs) were a bust. But the thing that turned out to be the best application of it was its coronary calcium scanning. And right at that time, the uh, liposcience down in North Carolina was coming up with its first advanced lipid testing. I had a humongous sort of epiphanal moment that by combining these two things, that were non-covered services, of course. They were very well-proven, but still cutting edge. By combining those two things with a doctor that had time to learn about them and time with patients to put these technologies to work and adding to it a patient willing to pay a bit extra for non-covered services, you could create effective what amounts to a medical time machine. Well, if you think about it, and this is a studied thing, I've talked about this a bunch over the years, It's a bizarre reality that what the amount of time it takes for a new innovation in healthcare, best practice, not to hold aside a pharmaceutical or a new imaging technology, but a new best practice innovation, especially applied in primary care, to go from being proven to be the thing to do to the thing that is done for the majority of people, conservatively is 17 years. And I think that's actually conservative. The more I watch this, Concepts like leaky gut, they're well over 17 years old and still them applied in the day-to-day practice of medicine for most people. But if you think about what the meaning of that gap is, where else in our whole economy can you go, look into the future and pull forward things that are yet to come, but are proven to work, proven to be the right thing to do. And so this has been a fascination of mine for ever, really ever since that moment. And it's what led me into the world of functional and integrative medicine, I drew the conclusion that the most undervalued service that everyone should want is essentially a root cause focus in their healthcare. And to the extent that you can create, curate, and deliver on a value proposition that's oriented to treating root causes, you've got, in my opinion, the skeleton key to attracting consumers that are the sort that are willing to invest in their own care.
1: Friction points, have you seen that this root cause resolution concept hasn't gone mainstream obviously a lot of our listeners are in the integrative and functional medicine field they have drank the kool-aid they're obviously fully on board with this and so why is it so difficult to adopt for mainstream
0: the big problem is i guess i'll say the things that keep things trapped in the gap including root cause medicine is a the ability of a practitioner to learn about it and root cause medicine is not something you learn about on the back of a brochure it's a meaningful commitment to so doctors today on the treadmill of primary care or whatever their subspecialty may be seldom have the time or inclination to want to invest that heavily in their continuing education which is why i personally adore working with root cause practitioners because they're remarkable lifelong learners and therefore people that you really want to be around associated with and supporting the second huge reason is that payers are incredibly slow to embrace and compensate for novel concepts like this. And the problem with root cause medicine is it's very front loaded in terms of time. It takes way more time up front and the payoff is long term. And as we know, particularly prior to Medicare years, people don't stay in the same insurance carrier year after year you're hopping every two or three years and so therefore there's no financial incentive for any one commercial payer to want to invest in the preventive care and wellness of a person that's only going to wind up on another payer's roster in two or three years from now it's unfortunately a very self-defeating cycle that we've created in the payer system so those are two huge reasons then the other born out of the payer problem is if a payer doesn't value it that places the financial burden of the costs onto the shoulders of the consumer and we are hypnotized by our payer system to believe that if a payer doesn't cover it, uh, a thing, that it, it must not be valuable. It, it's a really, I don't know, one of the more helpful things that I might say during this entire conversation. It's a little script that I've used forever with very, oftentimes very sophisticated healthcare consumers which is to say, look, let's pretend we're in a room full of people, And most of us are in a relationship or have three different types of insurance coverage. But we've got our homeowners insurance, we've got our auto insurance, and we've got our health insurance. And in two of the three cases, we've got a very clear understanding of the relationship with this financial instrument that we have entered into. This is take your auto insurance or your homeowners is a case where it's something to protect us from financial ruin in the unlikely event of something, a horrible car crash, a house fire or whatever. In the case of our health insurance, however, we have essentially handed over control of curating our healthcare to a payer that only seldom has our interests at heart. So think about what your car or your house would look like if the only things you did to take care of it were covered by GEICO. And so that, if you think about the declining state of the American human condition from a health standpoint, I think a lot of it has to do with this very thing. It's like preventive care, the root cause resolution of things, these are more value judgments than things that pose the risk of financial ruin. So they're not really in the domain of what insurance should cover anyway, but unfortunately, most consumers yeah. have yet to awaken to that reality.
1: Yeah, no, that that's uh, true, you've worked and with a lot of payer systems or maybe more so than with I- individual mm-hmm. practitioners giving the care it's like, so i want you to share a little bit about your work in the past decade how can you how can employers make healthcare more affordable for their patients and again out for their employees but then again, how can individual practitioners tap into that corporate wellness program? It-
0: it's an interesting and tricky question. The best opportunity for individual practitioners, you can get a glimpse of it in the work that some of the folks are doing in the direct primary care space. And so the most successful individual practitioners that I've seen in contracting with employers tend to in their practice as a near-site clinic for companies that are too small to have a worksite clinic. The difficulty with it is for root cause medicine practitioners is that the em- employers tend to want to pay a per member per month rate that would be too low to really do high quality root cause focused work. And so wh- where I have found myself going is, you recall I've been involved with companies in installing functional medicine worksite clinics at, at employers. And when you find that, in- and generally it's the owner of the company or the CEO of the company that just has a particular set of health values that align with this way of thinking. When you can find such a person, it's almost a moral compulsion for them to want to provide access to this type of care to their employees. The trick is finding that person with that health value mm-hmm. set, which may very well be a patient in your practice right now. Functional medicine practices tend to a- attract people that oftentimes are business executives and business owners, but identifying that person's for the first key to it. The second thing I found is there's a general, I think it's a general principle that to increase the value of root cause medicine, you narrow the focus of who you're targeting with it. So when you go to provide root cause medicine to an entire population, a whole workforce, let's say, you have to remember that in any given year, half of a working population incurs basically no health claims. And so anything extra you're spending in that year is added cost for half the population. On the other hand, the distribution of costs, of course, across that population is not at all linear. It's very clustered towards the sickest five or 10% of the population that have multiple chronic conditions and really fit the profile of a functional medicine patient. And so if you accept that about 75% of healthcare costs in a given year are consumed by 10 or so percent of the 10, maybe 20% of the population, okay, now there's where the ROI is. And so if you look at, okay, what's going on with that, with that sicker, multi-chronic population, that's the sweet spot of root cause medicine practice. And to the extent you can design services that address the needs of even subsets of that group, the autoimmune category is one that's obviously a really humongous, consistent high claimant group. Yeah. Then you've got a value proposition that's quite special. And the way that you sell it is as a bundled program. Because you can't get the employer or the payer to just reimburse in an uncapped way for this type of care, at least in my experience. I haven't cracked the code on how to do that, but If you can solve that problem, as root cause practitioners can, packaging it as a bundle program in the same way that you would to a consumer, really. It becomes a package that people can buy and a value proposition. They want to buy the outcome. And that's a great way of doing it.
1: If we're zooming back out and just sort of now disconnecting from the payer system, saying so for individual practice owners, for health practitioners, what is currently the power play that if you said... I'm fresh out of medical school. I have some integrative medicine training. Would Mm -hmm. you say ours of Smart Ideas launch this type of practice versus that type of practice? Putting you on the spot here.
0: It's an interesting question. My first thought actually brings about a concern that I have really about the replenishing of the root cause medicine practitioner universe with young, fresh out of medical school grads. Because unfortunately today, it's a pretty odd person that would finish medical school and conclude that the thing to do with a mountain of loans is to hang up a shingle and start an independent practice. So I'm not even sure how often that happens, unfortunately, anymore. But if in that unique case, one of the things I would actually consider doing is when you look at the private pay medical practices out there, many of them, the early concierge practices are owned by doctors that are actually getting ready to retire and are seeking a successor to apprentice in the practice and then take the thing over, ideally for, for some compensation to that practice owner. And that, I would look a lot for practices that where the owners, I get calls a bunch about this actually from concierge physicians that are they're looking to, they're, they're just at an age where they're looking to retire. And so that would be one thing. If I were designing a service offering, I would specialize in something. and And you can specialize in, a very valuable pain to solve or a very valuable gain to achieve pains to solve thinking about the things that are most appealing to people i did a really interesting piece of research last year essentially quantifying validating quantitatively that patients are willing to invest considerably more effort resources etc in solving certain diagnoses over others And I ended up calling the number that was assigned to these diagnoses. I did 15 diagnoses. I called it the disease activation index. This is something I, I did with Ant Health. And so what we discovered was that at the very low end of the disease activation continuum, our conditions, I actually plugged in hypercholesterolemia and, and hypertension as to, cert- was certain those would be very low. Turns out they were, followed by type 2 diabetes, interestingly enough. And it ramps all the way up to a peak of lupus, IBD, psoriatic arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis at the the very top end. And if you're solving pains, you wanna solve a pain that people are willing to invest effort in. And unfortunately for employers, most of their disease reversal investments have been in dealing with blood sugar dysregulation, pre-diabetes and diabetes. And what they come away with is, oh gosh, nobody cares about their health because they don't engage in our diabetes program. It turns out it's just not a condition people are highly activated to to go above and beyond in solving if they were targeting mm-hmm. things that were at the higher end of that list they would. So I would say if you're wanting to solve pains, focus on conditions that are painful and where the healthcare system leaves people wanting more. And autoimmune conditions, I think are great. Migraine headaches are another one. Long COVID is going to be another where it's like people are that's a, We should talk actually about yeah, that. Yeah, let's go into that. that. The On the gain side, look at the explosion of longevity, look at the explosion of a bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. There's some gains. I guess the BHRT would be, or yeah, the hormone replacement therapy would be in the kind of pain and gain category, really. But those are areas that are pretty cool.
1: Awesome. Yeah, so let's just loop back to this whole discussion around long COVID because I'm interested yeah. in it. And again, that's a daily reminder where people knew two years ago I didn't have it, and now I do deal with it each and every day. What does this mean yep. for practitioners as an opportunity?
0: But so Here's the thing. the It's the, the root cause medicine community react to COVID since the very beginning has been a really interesting thing. The market for COVID-related stuff moves so fast that, that it's hard to seize upon. And so acute COVID, no one wants to think about it anymore for a great reason. But as you just said, there's this astonishingly large population of people that a year ago two years ago were essentially the picture of health and function and all of a the sudden they can't walk around the block without being completely exhausted they can't remember where they parked their car why they're at the store they can't find words to complete sentences it's like they're actually remarkably debilitated some of them completely unable to work and so this is a highly motivated group of people to get back to the state of health that they remember quite well. Unlike a lot of chronic conditions that like the frog in the pot of boiling water progresses so slowly, you're constantly recalibrating what normal is and you forget how good you used to feel. Long COVID's the opposite of that. It's holy crap, I vividly remember being perfectly fine. And now I'm a mess. And so it's super high activation and it's a problem that screams for functional and integrative medicine practitioners to solve it. And the reason is you've got a quote diagnosis that has potentially 200 different symptoms that are associated with it. So symptom suppression and long COVID just doesn't work. It, It becomes ridiculous. So it's a picture of a condition that begs for a root cause solution. And you've got a situation where in the world of conventional medicine, there's no known solution to it. And so everyone is innovating and proposing. So you're not subject to the same arrows and barbs as you are deviating from the standard of care in known diagnoses. This is just an open field of opportunity. And so it's been an area, we, I've been involved through End Health with the help of my colleagues, Laurie Hoffman, the former CEO and chair at IFM, in developing a, assembling a very robust and impressive working group to protocol for, for long COVID. And it has proven to be actually Incredibly promising. I think this is going to prove to be an opportunity that it would be a shame for the root cause medicine community to miss. And heck, every long COVID recovery center that's been federally funded is overrun with demand. You can't, you put the word out, and these are places that essentially are symptom assessment specialist referral hubs. They don't. You've got cognitive issues. The solution is put a notepad in your back pocket and write down while you're at the store. You know what I mean? It's it's not solving. It's symptom management, really. So there's a huge opportunity here that I hope folks can muster the energy to get excited about. What
1: do you see some practical because for people saying, okay, long COVID may sound like something promising. I should look into this just from a practical perspective what have you seen with anthealth in terms of let's say advertising or what can you say is there backlash what are some of the constraints that people currently have to work through
0: on this one we are where this project stands where we actually have a patient registry that we're that we're continuing to add cases to and in fact a lot of the educational outreach we're about to to teach pra- other practitioners in the community how to how to apply this protocol has to do with building the evidence base inside this registry and can perfect the protocol. And so where we've gotten patients for the registry and it has been a snowball rolling down the hill is actually from referral, even from other providers. It's a vexing problem. No one's threatened by the fact that they can't solve it. And so what we're finding is that everything from healthcare systems to individual providers to friends and family of people who know someone are very inclined to make referrals because it's a desert of solutions. And so that would be that's my first thought is actually most every practice has got I don't even smaller concierge practice five or six patients that have this or who have a direct family member. And once the word gets out that there's something credible that moves the needle, it's incredible how that how the word can spread. And so that's my first thought is, now you don't mean, I'm not you, I'm not a marketing ninja. So this is, I'm sure, caveman simple to say that. <laughs> so well, have but I think
1: point out is so important for people to hear. When you have a whole population and let's say autoimmune patients, It takes a lot to get them activated, unless lupus, psoriasis, etc. They're so sick they can't even think straight to make sound decisions. As a practitioner that is looking for an easier way forward, work with people that are looking what you already have. They're actively seeking. And as you said, it's the gap between no known solutions and where do I go? So long COVID, BHRT. Again, if I just look on TikTok and patient testimonials and you look at autoimmune and compare this to BHRT, hashtag BHRT, there's thousands of raving women saying, oh my God, BHRT is freaking life-changing. And the same thing when a patient gets back from long COVID they just become the ambassador and it's like they're on a mission to spread the word and so they are so powerful as testimonies that if you are a practice that can help a couple people with long COVID, word gets out very quickly that you are a trusted expert and that makes the marketing so much easier that, again, if people are looking for it, they're eager to get on board, high activation. I love it as a marketer because it gives me a way to think maybe we should encourage practitioners to do more of the long COVID campaign because that can fill the practice. And then maybe it's a campaign, could it be long COVID? And it turns out it's not, but they have now, let's say some other underlying issue that functional medicine again Mm -hmm. can resolve.
0: Right, yep, totally agree with you.
1: I wanna use the remaining time for you to pull out your crystal ball and let's look at the next 10 years. With the arrival of artificial intelligence, with all these innovations happening, what do you see as of the dominant themes for the next 10 years?
0: Let's see, The we can start with AI, and gosh, the emergence of ChatGPT, and how quickly it seems to be getting smarter, passing medical boards, legal exams, it's pretty wild. My hunch would be, in the short term, that we're going to start to see some pretty remarkable innovations in like medical note taking, billing, coding, a lot of the administrative crap that healthcare providers have to do being offloaded or dramatically assisted by those technologies. But again, it's moving so quickly, it's almost hard to look out more than a year or two to imagine. The other area where I think I've been dabbling in this myself is looking at AI to assist with assessment and assessment diagnosis, I've been particularly interested in oral health evaluations to identify nutrient depletions and because there's so many signs and symptoms of that that show up in and around a person's. and the ability of AI to evaluate images is quite remarkable. So I think there's going to be some neat movement there. I also think the from a root cause sort of education curriculum standpoint, the one area that is, I think underrepresented, is the oral systemic health link. And I don't exactly know why. I think it must have to do with just doctors' general discomfort with oral exams. But when you look at the Overwhelming amount of, of evidence to make it very clear that the health of your mouth, gums, etc., has a lot to do with your dementia risk, heart attack, stroke risk, etc., your possibly autoimmune risk, digestive health. It's just, it's. I think this is something that we're going to start to emerge. It's been a budding field, but this year at the annual international conference for IFM, there'll be a session on oral systemic health, and I just have a hunch that we're gonna get somewhere on that. The, uh, the, uh, the lab tests are so easy and affordable, simple salivary diagnostics to look at oral pathogens that many products can help with. I just think we're gonna see it. Designs for Health is starting to introduce an oral health line. Think uh, Biocidin and their oral health line. We've got some pretty cool products emerging in our space for this. So I think that's gonna be something that we see. I freaking love devices and sensors. And the power of those things is remarkable. My favorites are our continuous glucose monitors and, the, and probably the Aura Ring. <laughs>
1: I'm wearing but one right now. I,
0: there you go. I, I will say, I think we're probably a matter of months out for, before the, uh, the FDA clears a European technology for continuous blood pressure monitoring using light as opposed to a cuff that squeezes. And I think that's gonna be another one that forms the basis of some really great potential programs that can be built and implemented by practitioners. The trick continues to be the gathering of the data. And we've got hubs to do that now, things like Heads Up Health, and then having someone on the staff that operates mission control. I think of the whole NASA astronaut thing of the astronauts out on the space station and. NASA's like, oh, you know, Uli, your your heart rate's up, take some deep breaths. They're watching all all your metrics that you're broadcasting out of your body. And there's a potential for practices to function this way. The trick is to manage the burden of it so that there's all value and at an efficient in an efficient way of delivering. And and it's a new domain. And I'm continually watching for folks that are doing it well. And but I think it's a huge opportunity. And when you can do it well, the we're seeing this with ant Health as an example. For the autoimmune cases that we deal with, we actually issue aura rings as part of the bundle. And what you discover is that, number one, it's quite remarkable to a patient. You've had a couple days in a row where your HRV plummeted and psychically the coach or provider will reach out and be like, Hey, just check it and see if you're feeling all right. Holy crap, I'm not feeling all right. And how the heck did you know this? It's a wild bit of psychic reading that's quite impressive. The second thing that I've noticed is, if you think about it, for most of us, the only way we have to quantify health in our historically has been our bathroom scale, which is generally a bad news generator that no one wants to, it's a mm-hmm. crappy way of metricizing health. Now that we have tools like an Aura Ring and what have you, you've got this high resolution kind of continuous picture that's evolving of your health in many different dimensions. And there's good news to be found in it. And you invest some effort and do the prolonged fasting mimicking diet. Maybe you're a bit hungry, but my gosh, You wake up the next day and you can see your body just came to life you slept better your hrv went up your heart rate went down and it's a motivational source to show you hey there's a huge connection between what i do and how my body reacts that we've never had access to before so looking at it as a source of motivation a new source of outcomes to show people the value of the program you're at there's just a ton of great reasons to make use of this data. I've gotta believe that we're gonna start to see that become very common practice over the next few years.
1: I totally agree with this. I'm obviously using these technologies too, and my wife says, man, I wish every patient would have at least one glucose monitor a year. That thing is freaking making the light bulbs go off, have an aura ring, and these continuous monitoring devices do way more to modify patients Mm -hmm health behaviors than any other yes. prescription you could do. I think seeing is believing, and I'm joking, if I were a practitioner, I would probably do a five-day paid challenge saying, hey, we're gonna do a two-week glucose monitor challenge. First week, you just do what you do, and the second week, we're gonna sit down and analyze what you did in the previous week, and then say, okay, now we're doing lifestyle experiments, go on prolong. do this, do that, do this, and then people saying, wow, before and after, I do have a lot of control over where my health is going to go. And so I'm personally as excited as well because I think it's a great marketing tool and enrolling people deeper into the vision of root cause medicine. So thank you so much, Tom, for pulling out your crystal ball and sharing what you see as the dominant themes for the next decade. Where can people find out more about
0: you You track what i do on my linkedin profile i don't have any great to sell anybody really but you can follow that and of course and health is uh, okay. something people can keep close track of that's been a that's a fascinating and very exciting but folks are always Good. welcome to reach out to me and i respond to linkedin communication if anybody should yep. need anything
1: so we'll put that in the show notes and then as yeah. is our practice here on the podcast we let the guests have the final words with the one thing that you want to leave our audience with
0: Oh, gosh. I think the big thing I would leave folks with is don't mistake the opportunity for long COVID with the frustration of dealing with the fast-moving world of acute COVID. This is a big opportunity not only to grow your practice, but quite frankly, to put a massive stake into the ground around the power of root cause medicine and an opportunity to build an evidence base that I think is of huge significance for the, for the whole field. I think that would probably be my parting wisdom.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Tom, and for everyone else listening. We'll see you next week. I believe mastering persuasion is one of the most essential skills in life, and certainly in business, because nothing ever happens without a yes. Yet we can only effectively influence other people's decisions when we truly understand how the brain makes those decisions. Once you master the decision-making formula, your message becomes ever more clear and influential. Join us next week for our newest episode of Getting to Yes. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. And feel free to share it with colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Uli Izalo. see you next week.